the advent calendar house the official holiday podcast for people who stand the lighthouse keepers in a christmas carol both of you (laughs) it's scrooge sunday again and it's been a while since i've covered a more direct adaptation of a christmas carol instead of one featuring other characters in the scrooge role so today we're saluting the classic alistair sim version but not that classic alistair sim version No, this one's an animated TV version of A Christmas Carol from 1971. I am standing uncomfortably and annoyingly close to you, so my face covers your entire line of vision, Mike Westfall. And joining me is the only man I'd trust to safely drive a hearse up a pitch black stairway. It's Michael May. Hello, Michael. Hello, Mike. And somehow I can understand the words coming out of his unnaturally wide open mouth, despite him not even moving his lips. Please welcome Rob Graham. Hi, Rob. (laughs) Hi, Mike. Thanks. It's great to be here. And I know it says... Rob Graham on my business cards, but the people who really know me call me ignorance. So feel free to. (laughs) (laughs) Good to have you. Thank (laughs) you both for coming on. This is an interesting one that I think often gets lost in the shuffle of classic versions of A Christmas Carol, at least in, in my experience. I don't know about you. I didn't discover this until I was grown. But first, let's hear any history y'all might have with this particular version. And we will start with Rob. I remember hearing about this um, and learning about it when you said, hey, do you want to be on the show? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how long ago. It was a few weeks ago, a month. I don't know. I had never heard of this. I had no knowledge of this whatsoever. Coming in blind. I love it. Absolutely. Michael, what about you? Yeah, I'm familiar with it. I um, forget if I talked about this on the show before, probably if we've talked about Christmas Carol at all, but every year on my blog, I break down a scene of a Christmas Carol and run through about 10, 15 different adaptations of it. And this is the one, one of the ones that I cover. Yes. Um, And I, when I first kind of heard about it, it was pitched to me as a Chuck Jones movie. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He's executive producer, but boy is not, he didn't direct it. That's, Spoiler for the end of that story, but he <laughs> it looks quite different from a Chuck Jones movie, although he was involved in the production. So um, but yeah, it's one that I've seen um well bits and pieces of uh many, many times. Yeah, I found I also was introduced to this as a Chuck Jones joint. It's not, we'll <laughs> get to a little bit into that a bit later, but I found out about this version quite by accident about 20 years ago, let's say, on a very old website about capacitance electronic discs or CEDs for short, which do y'all remember these at all? 
I don't think so. Not by that no. name anyway. They, okay, so imagine a vinyl LP record, but with video. Ah. Huh. Not quite a laser disc, but it, it looked like a vinyl record. It was, that was the CED, and it just it tanked right out of the gate. But there's this whole fan site out on the early internet that's still up dedicated to collecting these. And one Christmas, this guy put up a feature of about the three versions of A Christmas Carol released in this format. Mm -hmm. None of which are the version we're talking about tonight. But this Web page includes a table comparing scenes from more than a dozen different versions of A Christmas Carol. Just, I guess they were feeling festive that Christmas, including this 1971 one. So, Michael May, did you make that site? It sounds like you did. <laughs> yeah, because I really love that technology. Yeah. <laughs> but, but the table comparing the different versions. That oh, that's sounds, true. That's, that, yeah, that's yeah. right yeah, up your alley. <laughs> that's, I mean, I was on the early internet and Google image searching for screenshots of a Christmas carol, and that's what came up. Yeah, wow. Uh, but enough about that. Let's talk about this version from 1971. It first aired December 21st, 1971 on ABC. And then later they released it in theaters. Really? Yeah. And that made it eligible for awards. And it won oh. the Oscar for Best Animated Short. And they the- changed some rules about that, didn't they? They yes. did. These are things I know now because uh, after watching this, like I, I didn't know anything about it, but like I was so fascinated by it that I read all about it afterwards because I thought that was such a neat story. It really is. And if if you just balked at that thinking, hey, this was on TV, guess what? So did some other important people <laughs> because that prompted this rule change. And now anything that premiered on TV before theaters is disqualified from the Oscars. Uh, well, I think that's still the case. I think you can release it in theaters and streaming at the same time now because mm. that's the case with Coda, which just won Best Picture. It dropped on both at the same time and it was eligible. But no TV first anymore. This ruined that. But also, I like that from having seen it now, and I, as we talk about it, I'll, we'll talk about whether we liked it. And spoiler, I really do. Um, I like that this one is the exception then, because this is a real special little special. This is some kick-ass work that they did on this. It is. It's it's very beautiful. It's very stylized. I am probably wrote that a whole bunch of times, so if I end up repeating myself, yeah. too bad. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> And that's due a lot because this version of A Christmas Carol was directed by Richard Williams. I've talked about him before once. He also directed the Christmas special Ziggy's Gift. Mm. But he's probably best known now as the animation director for Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Mm. Gotcha. Uh, He also directed two other animated movies I've mentioned in the past. Raggedy Ann and Andy, A Musical Adventure in 1977, which if you haven't seen, it is a horrifying trip. (laughs) And the famously unfinished film, The Thief and the Cobbler. That rings a bell. Uh, It was in not development hell, but just production hell for decades. Wow. And it went through so many different edits. It never got finished. There have been edited releases of this. Uh, with different voice actors and everything. And because it's had been in production for so long, it ended up being a lot of aging actors, final films uh, with an asterisk. Like this is Vincent Price's last role. Oh, wow. 
it's notorious for that, but it's also notable because of the animation style. It's very smooth, like a lot of scenes in this. Just very impressive work, which I guess was why it took so long and never got finished because it, it was really a perfectionist thing, it seemed like. Yeah. And you can see hints of that same animation style here. It's very striking when I don't expect it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Also responsible for this style is lead animator Ken Harris. He was a longtime collaborator with both Chuck Jones and Richard Williams. Worked on How the Grinch Stole Christmas, as nice. well as a whole bunch of Looney Tunes, including one of the greatest Bugs Bunny shorts of all time, What's Opera Doc? Woohoo! Oh, uh, yes. So that's who's animating this, and we'll mention the little flourishes that stand out as we go. Starting with this opening, which has its own unique style in, in what Richard Williams said was inspired by the original illustrations of A Christmas Carol by John Leach. Yeah, I got to say that um, just in terms of just watching it for the first time, I was all proud of myself. I was like, hey, I, I just made a really trenchant observation about this this uh, little uh, film here. It looks like illustrations come to life. And then when it was over, I was like, oh, that's yeah. Everyone knows that. <laughs> that's exactly what it is. <laughs> like, I was, but I was like, oh, wow, what a cool observation I made. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's exactly what it is. <laughs> yeah. Well, you mentioned the John Leach stuff. I don't think I'd ever noticed that before this past time watching it but yeah there are kind of shot compositions that are like direct references to mm -hmm. his illustrations from yes i will mention a few that i noticed coming up like people are even dressed in the same manner mm. it's that close so it's That's very awesome. intentional here but as these opening credits run we're shown random scenes of well we have a narrator so i'll let him tell us the place london the time, 1843. The season, that of jollity, of festivity and charity, holly and berries and goodwill to all men, with perhaps one exception. And it is with this exception that we are concerned in our story. The exception is Ebenezer Scrooge. And that narrator is Michael Redgrave, who had a long career as a stage and film actor. This was one of his final roles. Wikipedia highlights his Best Actor nomination in Morning Becomes Electra, but I will be highlighting, oh, it's Vanessa Redgrave's dad. <laughs> and he tells us that one exception, perhaps, to the goodwill to all men is Scrooge, and we get a really neat zoom effect through his window. Oh, my gosh. To find Scrooge at his desk. That whole opening shot is bonkers and so cool. Like I, I rewound it several times just to be like, what's happening? So like we're we're panning down from the one building. Now it's the street. Now we're panning up the other building. And now we're just kind of flippity floppity. And then we, then we end up at Zoom's at Scrooge's uh, house. And then we zoom in through the window and see him just kind of just were hunched over his desk work. And what an amazing opening sequence that was. I'm not crazy about Zemeckis's um, mm. animated adaptation that Disney did. Right. But one thing that I like about that or did um, was his ability to kind of do this kind of thing. Um, yeah. But then when I rewatched, it's like, oh, you know what? Okay, that's where Zemeckis got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's so, probably it. Yes. <laughs> the thing about Robert Zemeckis is, and I mentioned this on that episode that I did, that's a ride. That was a 3D movie, and it's soaring over Charles Dickens. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> good way of describing it. <laughs> yes. 
But yeah, they this one, they play a lot with perspective as much as you can in 2D in 1971. Mm. Because, yeah, you're panning down from that clock tower onto a it's a rather trippy bird's eye view of London and, and back up the other side. Oh, yeah. Mm hmm. And so we get the Scrooge's counting house and we zoom in hard through the lit window yes, to him yeah. at his desk. Uh, so did you guys end up doing what I did after rewatching this and then go back and rewatched Alistair Sims first run as Scrooge in 1951 to compare to the two? I did not, but I have watched that so many times. It's pretty burned into my memory. Yeah. And I didn't uh, more because like, so I watched this because it is uh for the show. Right. And I was very glad for that opportunity, but it's too early for Christmas for me. I know I'm, I'm, I'm probably the only one in this, uh, in this chat. Understood. Who, <laughs> who feels that way. But I, uh, for, for us, it's a uh, elf on Thanksgiving night. Yep. And then Christmas starts from Thanksgiving night on. And so I actually have never seen the Alistair Sim or if I have, I was, it was like as a kid and it was, you know, some movie that I wasn't fully focused on, but maybe I will because I'm, I am interested to see him, so much younger play the role that he plays, you know, probably around the right age here as a voice actor in 71. So it was it 51 that he 51. It was 20 so 20 years full removed. years. Yeah. yeah. I'm making notes right now, Rob. <laughs> yeah. Not difficult to find online if you want to go find that one. But but these two performances, 20 years removed from each other, are very different. 51 Scrooge seems a lot more impatient with everyone, just mm. sick and tired of everyone's Christmas cheer. He gets very emotional. It's all humbug, I tell you. <laughs> Whereas 71 Scrooge, he seems more bored with it all mm. than had enough. Just, oh, here we go again with all these idiots and their Christmas. He rolls his eyes a lot. Yeah, mm -hmm. especially as the door opens and the wind scatters some of his papers across the desk as in walks his nephew, Fred. A Merry Christmas, Uncle. God save you. Humbug. Christmas a humbug, Uncle? <laughs> you don't mean that, I'm sure. He's voiced by David Tate, whom I and it appears a lot of people know him best as the voice of Eddie the Computer in the original Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy TV and radio series. Hmm. I like how they animate Fred. He's a close talker. <laughs> I love that you referenced that at the beginning, because that is definitely a thing. I was like, what a weird choice that the animators like to everyone that they made. Like, why do that? Because he's such a cool character, a welcoming character. And then you're just like, whoa, you creep me out for a second there, Fred. And everything <laughs> else he does is I'm like, yeah, team Fred. I love Fred. And that one shot where he just gets his face right up in the camera is just a weird little shot. You can see every stroke of his eyebrows. You can, yes. <laughs> yeah, his face literally takes up the entire screen. Yeah. Uh, it's a great effect. And then we cut to him standing in front of Scrooge's desk, just inches away <laughs> from his irritated uncle. So it wasn't just a camera trick right. that mm -hmm. they were trying to create here. He's really like up in his uncle's face. Crisp is a humbug. <laughs> That saves this Fred enough for me because otherwise he didn't really strike me as joyous as some of the other Freds have been and really ought to be. Mm -hmm. I will push back a little on that okay. because I think the scenes that he had, for, you know, that scene, of course, the opening scene, but the party scene, they kind of just to abridge this story because they're only getting in about a half hour. They don't really yeah. go into the games that they were playing, making fun of Scrooge and everything. No, but. 
he, he has the line where like, oh, Scrooge has given us merriment. And so I want to give him merriment right back. And he's like, whether or not he'll take it from me, I wish it on him nonetheless. And I was like, Fred is so awesome. I love Fred. Yeah. Michael and I did a Christmas Carol with Nikki Rollier, uh, just an episode of After Lunch, the book. And I came away just so taken with Fred. Uh, I, I love that guy. Fred's great. He's very underrated if you've only seen so many versions of A Christmas Carol and you only get bits and pieces. Yes, I I know. Other ones aren't quite. Yes. Yeah. The real, the full Fred is the good Fred. That's right. Two audio things I want to mention about this whole counting house scene. One is the scratching of the quills. Hmm. When you hear it, it's very noticeable and it makes the silence around it even more uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And second is the ticking of the clock through the whole scene. Yeah. Merry Christmas. What reason have you to be merry? You're you're poor enough. Well, come then. What reason have you to be morose? You're rich enough. Bah. Humbug. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they emphasize uh, Scrooge's attention to the clock, too, that he wants to make sure he's getting every last second of work out of that Cratchit fella. Yes, Bob Cratchit is here. (laughs) He's been silently warming his hands by candlelight when not scratching with his own quill. Uh, He is voiced by Melvin Hayes. It's... Only once a year, sir. Well, that's a poor excuse for picking a man's pocket every 25th of December. One of just a few people involved in this who is still alive. He's 87 at the time of this recording. IMDb tells me Melvin Hayes is best known for a BBC sitcom in the 70s called It Ain't Half Hot, Mum. (laughs) Doesn't look like it has aged well at all. That is such a perfect British sitcom name. <laughs> right. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but I know his voice from a cartoon called Super Ted. He was an effeminate skeleton named Skeleton. Uh, and he was also, he, he was a background actor in Santa Claus the movie. He was one of the elves. Oh, wow. Uh, we'll get to Cratchit a bit more in just a few minutes. For now... As Fred is leaving, he holds the door for our two portly gentlemen, <laughs> as Dickens called them. And the spokesman of the two is also voiced by David Tate. At this festive season of the year, Mr. Scrooge, a few of us are endeavoring to raise a fund to buy the poor some meat and drink and means of warmth. But are there no prisons? Plenty of prisons. This scene stood out to me because Scrooge handles them a lot more patiently than I'm used to seeing him do. He uses the quill, though, like you you had mentioned the the sound of the quill. I really like how he um, they're talking and they're giving their pitch. And he's just kind of kind of hitting the, his face with the quill. Like he's just kind of tapping it against his face. Like it, like just like that eye roll you had mentioned, Mike, just to, he's just like tapping the quill against his face. Like, are you done? Because I'm about to shut you down. Are you done? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and he actually carries more of the conversation than he usually does, which I guess mm. they did for time. I don't know. Yeah, he fills in some of their lines. He goes, I know what you're going to say. And then he like says some of their lines for them. Yes, I know. You'll tell me that many can't go there and many would rather die. Well, we'd better do that than decrease the surplus population. Just says it way more matter of factly than I've ever heard Scrooge say it. That's an interesting take. I like that. I like your take on it because uh, I noticed it, but I don't think I articulated it as well as you just did, Mike. Yeah, I I think I'm just used. Usually his patience by this time is wearing very thin. And Mm -hmm. here he doesn't even let it get to that point. He kind of shuts them down quickly and gets them out with a bit of a smug smile on his face. Mm -hmm. 
I don't like it better, but that smile at the end when he bids the gentleman good afternoon was like a nice little button on it all. Yeah. He does show some signs of irritation at Cratchit returning Fred's Merry Christmas earlier, though. But Mm -hmm. other than that, I said, just trying to deal with what he feels is everyone else's misplaced joy. Yeah, the scene with him reminds me a little bit of Scrooge McDuck dealing with uh, (laughs) the same characters where uh, he's almost got like a fake kind of concern. I like that. Yeah. On his face that, you know, like you say, that he's. He's basically playing the whole conversation for them just to kind of move it along and get them out because he's tired of them already. Oh, that's a good comparison. Scrooge McDuck really does the same thing. Yeah. Just with with different words. It's not Dickens when when he does it. But right. Right. uh, Well, Scrooge's walk home is more of an artist showcase than a story element here. Oh, man. We get one shot that's very beautiful pencil work of a dark London street. Very detailed building facades in dim light. And the next shot is Scrooge emerging through London fog as he walks past a single lamppost onto his front door, where the transformation of his knocker to the ghostly face of Jacob Marley is a really quick one. Mm -hmm. It's not a jump scare like Zemeckis did. No, it's subtle. Yeah, I I saw it starting to transform and it looked like it was going to go on a little longer, but but then it wasn't. And I realized it was over when Scrooge looked over and gasped and the music stopped. <gasps> Jacob. Jacob Marley. Yeah, I guess they were saving their big scare for when Marley shows up because that was a, <laughs> that's a that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's right out of Dickens, too, because he specifically says that the transformation was was very very quick um without like there was no like kind of intermediate stages of you know a lot of times uh adapters will kind of use this to kind of showcase whatever kind of special effect technology they've got you know yeah look what we can do right um but with dickens it's almost more of a smash cut and uh so and that's one of the things about this version that they are yeah. very, very faithful um, visually. Oh, yeah. Um, not so much with the dialogue. They, they trim the crap out of it. But um, but visually, they're very, very faithful to, to Dickens. Yeah. What they can't have in dialogue, they show on the screen, which mm. is very helpful. Right. I'll tell you what I really like, though, is Scrooge walking up the stairs inside his house in almost complete darkness, save for his own candle. Yeah. Well, all of this stuff, you talk about how this is more of an artist showcase um, than plot. And you're right. But it's just so beautiful. Like, this is visually probably my favorite part of the movie. Yeah, mine, too. This scene is almost entirely just black. And I don't think we appreciate enough these days that this is what nighttime was like for our ancestors. And particularly for Scrooge, because he's not going to spend one extra cent lighting a single room that he doesn't need. And they say (laughs) that in the book. Yeah, darkness was cheap and Scrooge liked it. Yeah. Uh, it's, It's got a creepy vibe that's made all the creepier as we start to make out the ghostly outline of a hearse going up the stairs as well, which we don't get to see very often. Right. 
You mean just in real life? Yeah, I, I almost never see that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't even have stairs in my house, so it's very rare. But very rare indeed. No, one of quite a few scenes in this adaptation that more often than not doesn't make the cut, and I'm glad it's here. It mm-hmm. works well with the otherwise pitch blackness, followed by another extreme close-up, this time of Scrooge's horrified pale face just shivering. Mm. Locks the door behind him as usual, leaving us in the dark for a brief moment before we catch up with Scrooge in his chambers by the fire. And we don't see the whole room for a while, but when we do, it is bare. There is nothing in this room besides the fireplace, a couple of chairs and a side table. And I feel like this one gets Scrooge's stinginess right more than others I've seen. Like, I don't think he even has curtains in this. It's just Mm. I don't want to have to spend But for now, Scrooge's service bells start ringing, followed by the sound of old Jacob Marley's ghost dragging his chains. And I like for a short 25 minute special that has to keep things moving to fit in what it can. Richard Williams lingers on the sound of the chains behind the door. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's true. And there's a lot of them. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. We see we see a big, long set of chains later, but I timed it. It's only about 10 seconds before you start to see Marley materialize inside the room. But it's 10 long seconds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like Alistair Sim, we have another returning cast member from the 1951 movie with Michael Hordern once again playing Marley. There's more of gravy than of grave about you. <laughs> I wear the chain I forged in life. I made link by link and yard by yard. Cool. I don't think I knew that. I knew it just because, I, like I said, I read everything after. <laughs> I was just so fascinated by this special. Well, while you were reading up on Michael Horder, did you recognize anything else you might have seen or heard him in? No, tell me, tell me. Uh, It's two big things for me. It's both voice roles. He narrated the old Paddington Bear stop motion shorts. Well, that's cool. Uh, And there was another stop motion series of The Wind in the Willows, and he voiced Badger. Nice. And these I remember as two of like the earliest things that weren't Disney or Muppets that I remember watching. Uh, But what do we think of this version of Marley's Ghost? It's got a like what an impression this made on so many kids in 1971. (laughs) (laughs) Like it made an impression on me. Just it was incredible. Like he looks horrifying when he when he finally unhinges his jaw, man. Oh, man, that is it is terrific. It's a it's a great arresting visual. Yeah. Yeah. This is one of the, the, the shots that I just remember. You know, very distinctly the uh the original illustrations and uh and this marley definitely fits that and I, I love how like there's one scene where he's talking to scrooge and his face is like just pointing up at the ceiling and he's got like dickens describes him as kind of like his hair is flowing kind of independently of any breeze or lack of breeze that's in the room, almost like he's underwater or, yeah. or has his own kind of wind machine or whatever. And yeah. this is definitely doing that. Even like his coattails, his coattails. are kind of like yes, hovering. Kind of... And yeah, yeah. And and like Rob said, that when he unhinges that jaw, man, <laughs> holy moly, <laughs> so good. 
He's like, oh, Scrooge, you're making some funny little puns at my expense. Yeah. Watch this. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that turns things right around. Yeah. Oh, I've said it on here before, but I like my Jacob Marley to scare me. Yes. Yeah, it should. That's what makes this entire story work. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right. Scrooge has to be terrified. Yes. And whereas I think Alistair Sims 51 Scrooge was a stronger version of the two, I like 71 Marley better than the first mm-hmm. round. He's he's a little sillier in the movie. But this Marley has the most dead-eyed stare I've ever seen yeah. from that <laughs> character. And the and it, gaping mouth hanging open when he removes that bandage is oh. just the icing on the creepy cake. Yeah, yeah. And it might have been born of the short like yeah. again like they 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 needed economy of scenes so they're like they didn't have time to be silly or to give him all these like little character moments like they just had to be like he's gonna scare the heck out of you and he's gonna tell you what you need to do uh, and it's even more settling that he continues to speak without moving his lips yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, i also like watching scrooge whenever marley's on screen And I like to see how unsettled he looks and the screaming here makes him cower like he should. But then I notice he begins to sort of study Marley while he's speaking. Mm. We look at Scrooge through Marley from behind the ghost. So they use transparency here, which is nice. And Scrooge is looking kind of quizzically at him, which is an interesting take. Mm hmm. But after Marley relays his message of the coming of three spirits, he pieces out through the window and into a crowded sky filled with tormented spirits. We really don't get a long look at him here. Mm-mm. They're all kind of crowded around one poor woman holding a baby just out of their reach. And, mm-hmm. and then we're out. We'll return after these messages. It's Christmas Eve, Mr. Scrooge. I'm going home to my family now. Merry Christmas. Christmas, bah, humbug. <laughs> no Christmas means to me is a nasty old cold. You should take NyQuil, sir. NyQuil? What's NyQuil? Nighttime cold medicine from Vicks. Got to go now. NyQuil? Yes, Mr. Scrooge. NyQuil relieves sniffles, sneezes, stuffy nose, scratchy throat, coughs and aches and pains. NyQuil relieves your major cold symptoms for hours. So it helps you get the rest you need. Merry Christmas! Mr. Scrooge. And he's happy. They said you had a cold, sir. Oh, I feel much better. I took NyQuil last night. Merry Christmas, sir. Oh, Merry Christmas to you, Bob Cratchit, and all your wonderful family. Merry Christmas to one and all. Vicks NyQuil, the one thing to take for your cold. We cut back to Scrooge slamming his window shut, running terrified to his bed and drawing the (laughs) curtains. Quick fade to him waking up at the stroke of one o'clock. They needed to cut out that bit. Uh, And his room's flooded with light. And here's another detail I don't see all that often, but it's the ghost of Christmas past hand that opens his bed curtains. Mm. That's how Dickens wrote it. But I'm so used to Scrooge opening his own bed curtains. Ah. I didn't catch it. Yeah. Uh, I think that was even part of the narration here because it was one of those. It might have been right after a commercial break. So Mm -hmm. we had a little bit of narration to explain that. uh, Hey, it's going to start to get weird now. (laughs) And it does. (laughs) Scrooge awoke to the chimes of a neighboring clock. 
His room was flooded with light, and a hand opened the curtains of his bed. I am the ghost of Christmas past. Uh, Long past? No, your past. Uh, This ghost of Christmas past is voiced by Diana Quick, also still alive. I don't know her work very well, but the internet tells me she's best known from the TV series Brideshead Revisited as Lady Julia Flight, and she's the ex-wife of Bill Nighy. Oh, really? Yeah. Married from 1980 to 2008. But this Ghost of Christmas Past might be the most book-accurate version I've seen in a while, yeah? Uh, Yeah, probably ever, I think. I I can't think of a better one. It's such a neat uh, realization of what uh, Dickens writes about it, because it's it's a trippy description in the book. Yeah. And so it's sort of hard to get your head around it, like as you're reading it and, and imagine it as well as they do. They do a great job. Yeah, it's really impossible to film live action. You, you oh, need yeah. some kind of animation. The yeah. only other one that gets kind of close is um, the Zemeckis one again. Yeah. Um, but that takes some big liberties. But this is just like the way that it flickers and it changes like a flame. Um, yeah. and so you can't even really count how many limbs it has. Right. You can't see like sometimes it flickers young, sometimes it flickers old. It's yes. just all over the place. I noticed that like we got the candle head, the ghosts age and gender are ambiguous. And there are times mm-hmm. where it shifts from looking younger to looking older. The first time I watched this in trying to decide, Oh yeah, I want to do this and where I wanted to put it on the schedule. I didn't notice it. And then as I'm watching it for detail now, I'm like, Oh, looked old for a flash there. And that's, that's really unsettling. And I liked it, but I love the, they went with sort of a blurry effect, for lack of a better phrase here. They're drawn like we're seeing double the whole time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and they use that to their advantage because, like Dickens wrote, this ghost is holding a branch of holly in one hand mm-hmm. and a big old candle cap in the other. Yeah. But then the ghost uses their magic double vision arms to grab Scrooge and lean them out the window, but never lets go of... The holly or the mm-hmm. uh, candle yeah, uh, it's a there's at least a third arm, if not more. Than yeah, I, I, yeah, that's awesome. And from there, it's a really, really quick blink and you missed it trip to the past. Mm-hmm. They literally fast forward out that window or rewind, mm-hmm. I guess, <laughs> <laughs> above the dark London rooftops and into the bright, snowy shadows of Scrooge's past. Not only is it quick, but there's the sound of a racing heartbeat during those few seconds, which I thought was a nice touch. Rise and walk with me. Good heavens. I was a boy here. And this, I thought, was a really, really beautifully sketched scene. It's it's mostly white to show the snow. But then you get little specks of color here, like there are swans sitting in the water and their bills Mm -hmm. are orange and some of the houses and buildings in the background have color. But other than that, it looks like just a black and white sketch. Mm -hmm. We get a bit more color as we watch kids dancing outside the school. There's a layer of falling snow over all of this, which is always an effect I like to see how it works. It's subtle here. And then into the school we go, also very little color inside, save for a bright blue globe as we pass by it in the foreground. Accurate to 1843 with labels like Prussia. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I didn't check it out. That's awesome. Yeah. No, I didn't notice that either. 
but we get even more vibrant colors as we watch the young boy Scrooge reading a book and we get to see the visions of his thoughts running over his head. I love that shot. I think that's such a great depiction of what reading is and can be. I think mm-hmm. that's excellent. There's a whole passage about this in the book that you can't really translate to film very often, but they do it here. You get little scenes of mm-hmm. things you you see, you read that Scrooge is thinking, oh, there's Alibaba and there's the parrot and there's Robinson Crusoe. And you see those things on the screen for this little five second animation. And I think that was a really well done way to do that and realize that. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. And uh, it's also like a microcosm. Like this little shot is a microcosm of both the best thing about this movie and kind of the the biggest flaw of the movie because they never explain in any kind of dialogue or anything what that is. It's just like, yeah, here's this little kid reading and he's lonely. I don't even know if they specify that that's Scrooge um, because it's, man, you just, that scene is over so quickly. Yeah, I don't think they do. I mean, we know it is just because we've seen this hundreds of times. Right, right. We know the story. Um, But uh, yeah, if I have any issues with this production, it's that it just is so whittled down um, as as far as the uh you know the the dialogue even the the narration it's just it's you're getting like almost like snippets of scenes kind of yeah. like the best stuff it's all brought to life so coolly um and so beautifully uh that it makes up for it it makes it completely worth seeing um but you know kind of all throughout i was like man i would love for this to have been you know another half an hour longer. Yeah, this could this would have served well to be feature length. And I don't say that very often on this podcast, but <laughs> this one this one could have served better to be longer. And they trim fat in some of the wrong places. We just skip right over Scrooge's sister Fan and his father. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, The ghost then waves their hand as we fast forward through every Christmas of Scrooge's childhood, reading a book in each scene. And they kind of just morph. You see the scenery change every time and it just blurs around like those videos you see of someone taking a picture of themselves every day for a few years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it reminded me of that. Uh, He gets slightly taller each time and then it blurs around him until we're at old Fezziwigs and it's party time. Old Fezziwig. Yo-ho, my boys. No more work tonight. Christmas Eve, Dick. Christmas Ebenezer. Clear the way, my lads. Fezziwig here is voiced by Paul Whitson Jones, who was in the original London cast of Oliver as Mr. Bumble. (laughs) This is another scene where the animators play a little game called Fun with (laughs) Close-Ups. Got people dancing right into our whole viewing area. Mrs. Fezziwig in particular has quite a close-up. Yeah, she does. (laughs) And not of her face. (laughs) No, just twirling her cleavage right in our faces. Then I remembered, oh, the director of this also designed Jessica Rabbit? Yeah, that tracks. (laughs) That's awesome. I will say, though, if you look at the original illustrations, Mr. and Mrs. Fezziwig look very on model here down to their clothes and the colors of them. Yeah. And one other thing Richard Williams does here that 
other directors haven't was while Scrooge is watching Fezziwig and then briefly reflects on his own treatment of Bob Cratchit, we actually flash back to it here for a split second. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's really nice, actually, because a lot of adaptations will just skip that. Yeah, it gets omitted a lot. Because it's the line of dialogue is, you know, the the ghost is kind of fake mocking Fezziwig for, you know, spending so little and bringing, which I love. Know, right, right. <laughs> yeah. And then which puts Scrooge into defensive mode and he he so he defends Fezziwig and then Dickens specifies that he, you know, at that moment he's like, Oh, you know, I should be I should have maybe treated Bob a little bit differently than I than I always have. And um just yeah, most versions because it's so internal. A lot of adaptations will just skip that, but this is one where this very short version actually included something that many don't. Yeah, when you read it, you think, I thought at least, oh, that's why we're at Fezziwigs, or that's at least part of it. And then other adaptations, mm-hmm. they sort of use the Fezziwig scene for other purposes. A lot of the times you'll see this is where they bring Bell into the story, which doesn't yeah. happen in the original story. Mm-hmm. Right, right. But speaking of Bell, the ghost yeah. whisks Scrooge away again, and we can see it takes him a second to realize what he's looking at now. But we're in Dumpsville. <laughs> Population Scrooge. <laughs> Notably, this is happening outside in some garden or somewhere. They're in front of this big weeping willow tree, which, yeah. ah, symbolism. <laughs> oh, nice. But also... How is this tree such a healthy shade of green at the end of December? True, true. <laughs> it's winter, my dudes. Yeah. These are Christmases past, supposedly. Yeah. yeah, it's like we, I think they say, let's go to another Christmas every time. Our contract is an old one. I can release you. The voice of Bell is credited to Annie West, who is known for this. Yeah. <laughs> it is her only credit on IMDb. She plays the part fine here. The real note of this scene is the younger Scrooge, who seems a lot more annoyed at Bell than in other versions. Mm. Have I ever sought release? In words? No, never. In what then? In a changed nature. This is maybe my least favorite scene. It's one of them because it was such a, a favorite of mine from the book and having read the book, you know, just at the end of last year, it was pretty fresh. Yeah. And I was looking forward to this scene and I was like, Oh, hearing that this is her own only credit is not a huge shock to me. She doesn't do a a bad job. You said it perfectly. She does fine. Yeah. But the scene in the book is great. And it's, I found it heartbreaking in the book and this, I found kind of like, yeah, okay. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Yeah. Let's just, we'll move on. It's all good. So that's uh, that was a little too bad for me. I do like they have her wearing black because um, she's described as wearing mourning clothing. Yes. Um, mm. I think the implication is that her parents have just died uh, in the novel, but uh, they don't call it out or anything. But she's she's dressed appropriately. Yeah. Well, she says, oof, what a day I'm having. So that that's, you know, <laughs> let you know she's dealing with a lot. That's you know? right. Yeah. <laughs> and then then my Uber was 20 minutes late. She said like all this stuff. She she just lays it all out there. That's a good scene. Yes. Well, that makes this particular version of Scrooge even more annoying because he just rolls his eyes at her the whole time. It, it's a lot. He's a lot more just done with this. 
Yeah. And like, that's what was so heartbreaking in the book is he's, you know, he's kind of pleading like, no, don't yeah. you get it? Like I, I've got the, I've got the right track. Everyone else is kind of doing it wrong. Right. And she's, she's sort of just like sad and like, no, <laughs> you don't get it. You don't get what's, yeah. what's right. And, and in the, this little short, she just seems kind of maybe just for all the stuff she's dealing with, she seems like she's numb almost uh, the mm-hmm. way she describes everything. And that, right. that was underwhelming to me. Yeah. Also, I don't know if this is a different voice actor playing younger Scrooge. It doesn't sound like Alistair Sim putting on a younger voice, but it's not right. credited separately. So I was wondering about that, too. No one knows. But speaking of Sim, his Scrooge doesn't sound as crushed as others in having to relive this breakup. Mm-hmm. Oh, spirit, why would you delight to torture me? Uh, he's more inquisitive again to the ghost, like, man, why are you showing me this? <laughs> then just he grabs the candle cap real quickly, extinguishes our first ghost as Scrooge's bedroom rematerializes back around himself. And we cut to another commercial. Take me back. Haunt me no longer. This Christmas, people are being very choosy. Merry Christmas. It's perfect. Snoopy and Woodstock. Thank you, my dear. If you want to do something that'll be genuinely appreciated, be choosy and get genuine bell. Because when you get right down to it, this isn't the phone. This is. Merry Christmas, Daddy. For me? It's for you. Be choosy, get genuine bell. And when we return, Scrooge is asleep again, snoring this time. And the light from the other room is dimmer but warmer, and it's the clock striking one again that wakes him up. He sits up, gets out of bed, and goes to investigate the light in the other room, where we find, as usual, the larger-than-life Ghost of Christmas present. Enter, Ebenezer Scrooge. Come in and know me better, man. With the Austin Powers chest hair. Yeah, he does. <laughs> it's, it's combed and parted down it the is, middle. It is insane. <laughs> and he shaved his tummy. Yeah, right. it, it only grows here, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> this Ghost of Christmas Present is voiced by Felix Felton, whom IMDb says is best known as a minister in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Huh. Okay. Uh, Another blog I saw said he wrote and adapted a lot of radio plays in the 1940s and 50s, including a children's hour show called Toy Town. Hmm. So he's got the jovial voice that works well here as Christmas present. Uh, And the way they animate the light from the torch on the walls and floors of this room also stuck out to me. I thought it was very well done. And the torch itself, just how huge the flame is and just and cheery and like at some point in this scene like you do see him like they say that he he kind of waves it around and gives people christmas cheer like tinkerbell you know (laughs) spread the fairy dust and i i love that too yeah we kind of see that fairy dust effect now that you mention it uh it's a well-drawn bounty of food here but it's it's a shame we don't stay long Mm. Scrooge again politely but boredly commands the spirit to conduct him where he will, and with a touch of the ghost screen robe, we're immediately outside on a snowy Christmas morning. A very quick look at the happy hustle and bustle on the streets before we see Bob Cratchit jogging around the corner with Tiny Tim on his shoulder, and into the Cratchit residence we go. And how did little Tim behave? As good as gold. 
Mrs. Cratchit is voiced by Joan Sims, who starred in 24 of the 31 Carry On films, if you're familiar with those. That's the most of any female actor in that troupe. We get a close-up of Scrooge's face in shock as he takes in the gravity of Bob's recounting of Tiny Tim at church, hoping he could help remind people who made the lame walk. And Tiny Tim is voiced by Richard Williams' son, Alex. God blesses everyone. Who grew up to be an animator himself, and he worked with his dad on Who Framed Roger Rabbit, as well as The Lion King and The Iron Giant and Quest for Camelot and The Road to El Dorado. He's got some big hits on his resume. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Impressive. He's also worked in visual effects and development. There's a page on his website highlighting his work on Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, where he helped design the Doe Patronus for that. Cool. But here is Tiny Tim. Alex Williams was just four years old and he wrote a blog about the recording. So that's in the show notes. Uh, But long story short, he doesn't remember much because he was four besides getting ice cream afterward. (laughs) (laughs) Best part. He remembers the important stuff. Yeah. Right. Spoken like a true former four year old. <laughs> we finally start to hear some remorse in this Scrooge as the ghost of Christmas present tells him he sees an empty chair in the corner. A question for both of you. And it, for some reason, it didn't occur to me having read the book. But uh, what about the question that Scrooge asks Christmas present about Tiny Tim and the ghost of Christmas present? says, I see an empty chair basically in the future. And what do we all think about that? For some reason, this is the only time in my life that it struck me as weird. I'm like, how do you know? You can't see the future. You're you're completely in the present at all times. That's your whole thing. So I don't know if that's, uh, you know, he's a spirit. You know, they've got crazy powers, whatever. Um, but like for the first time, I was just like, huh, like that's a, a question to ask of someone who's always living in the now hey, what's going to happen in the future? And maybe even the, the spirit's like, oh, I'm just going to tell him something that's going to help him learn this lesson. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? I think about this every year and I have never gotten a good <laughs> grasp out of it. And I always just kind of give up like, ah, wizard did it. Yeah, and that's, and that's where I am. And I, I don't, I, it's not a problem. It's something that struck me as a question. Yeah, it's just, hey, thought. wait a minute. Yeah, right. <laughs> I like your theory, Rob, that he's just making it up. I think that works. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I might have to adopt that. The closest I've ever been able to get is he has a couple of lines. When he says to Scrooge is like, none of my brothers will find him here or something Mm -hmm. like that. Um, And he's got another line earlier where they first meet about how Scrooge hasn't met any of his older brothers right so i kind of feel like even though he's in the present he might be in communication somehow with the other ghosts of christmas present who will be here in the future and in the past and that may be why it didn't occur to me to ask that question in the book because the book sort of maybe made that connection even if it wasn't overtly like maybe i don't think it's overt yeah but maybe that's what made like for some for some reason it struck me watching it yeah you know today or the other day Made more sense in the 1800s. (laughs) (laughs) And it is so truncated in this where it's almost like you can see that Tiny Tim is is he's got a brace on his leg, um, but he's not like super coffee. And, you know, like he doesn't seem as sickly in this as he does in other versions. So when Scrooge 
asks about him and asks about his health and how he's going to do. It's a little bit out of nowhere in mm-hmm. this version. Um, right. You do get it more of a sense that he's infirm in a lot of different ways. Yeah. 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 So I don't know. They kind of, they really breeze through that scene. So it, it would be confusing to someone who doesn't really know the story. Sure. Yeah. And with a twirl of the pair around the camera, so to speak, kind of twirls around them and we're whisked off to some more scenes we don't get to see often in adaptations of A Christmas Carol, but they all fit in well here. And I hope you all like God rest ye merry gentlemen, because that's (laughs) the only Christmas Carol anyone knows in this. Absolutely. Everyone's singing it in this sequence. First, we stop by the Miner's Village. Where a whole group of families are huddled in a dark room that's only lit by firelight and singing together. So that's the only color we see in this, which I liked. And then the ghost flies with Scrooge over the ocean where we first stop at the lighthouse. Mm -hmm. God rest ye merry gentlemen, let Two men are drinking and singing there, and then we fly over the water and past a ship where a captain is also singing by himself. Was born on Christmas night to save us all from Satan's It's a really well done sequence, quickly but again very nicely animated in just a little over a minute. And I started wondering why do they cut these scenes out of so many of these versions so often? That's a good question. I really liked those scenes in this special. Um, And I'm going to admit something that makes me not look so good. I, just having read it again at the end of last year, didn't love those scenes in the book. Not that everything Dickens writes is great, but I was... I, I admitted in a, a lounge that hasn't even aired yet that uh, <laughs> I'm getting to be a little too plot centric in my reading where I'm like, so when this happened in the, in the Christmas Carol book by Dickens, I was like, come on, so, <laughs> get on with it. Now we're going to see some minors. I was like, oh, come on. So, so but in this and, it, and they do it so briefly and it, it feels like it's almost like an animator's showcase oh, yeah. like these, you know, like they're like, oh, we can do these three different things in three different styles and really kind of show off, um, not only make the point that people who are leading very difficult lives are still celebrating right. Christmas and what's your problem, Scrooge, <laughs> but just the fact that they're able to do it in such a wonderful artistic way for which e- with each of these three scenes, I was very impressed. Yeah, and that's what I like about the scene. And I, and I love that this version includes it and includes it so well with the just the, kind of the flybys. But and in most adaptations, it's like we'll get Cratchit's house and then we'll get Fred's house, um, which kind of contrasts like their different economic stations. Mm-hmm. Um, but in Dickens and in this, like there are people even worse off than Bob and his family. Um, but they're mm-hmm. still out there celebrating, they're still feeling the joy of the season, and uh, which is you know, kind of this ghost point. Um I don't know. It's not like you were saying, Rob, it's not important plot wise, but it's thematically. I think it's a it's really cool thing to show. Yeah, it's a nice little montage of people keeping Christmas and they made time for it here and it was very effective. And I'm thinking, you know, they could have fit this in the Muppet Christmas Carol if they had a little more time and slightly bigger budget. They could have Mm -hmm. fit those scenes during Mm -hmm. the song. It feels like Christmas. It would have served well there. Oh, yeah, yeah. But as soon as it's here, it's gone, and we now find ourselves at Fred's Christmas party, where we sadly do not play yes and no. Mm. 
We, uh, Rob mentioned it earlier, we find Fred toasting his uncle. Uncle Scrooge. He's given us plenty of merriment, I'm sure. And it would be ungrateful not to drink his health. And I say, Uncle Scrooge. Uncle Scrooge. I don't know if you guys had a different uh, thought on this. It's Fred's wife. I don't know her name. I don't remember her name. I don't think she's ever named, is she? She may not be, but I just uh, she may not have been going for this. The show may not have been going for this, but it seemed to me and I might have been reading into it and putting my own stuff in. But like Fred was all genuinely like, so to Scrooge, uh, you know, God bless Scrooge. And her line readings to me sounded like she was going along, but she didn't really believe it. And I really enjoyed that. Whether or not it's what they were going for. I like that. She was like, yeah, God bless Scrooge. (laughs) Oh, I think that's exactly what they were going for. That's I thought I loved that. I thought that was very fun. And she does. She does it twice. There's two lines like that. And both times she's like, oh, good. Like when he comes later, I'm sure it's more genuine at the end. But I still because I put that in my head at the end, even when they welcome into it, she's like, oh, yeah, great. He's here. <laughs> like it just, yeah. There's a little bit in that a tiny touch. And because, you know, <laughs> she's probably, you know, ticked at him that he keeps rejecting her husband that she loves her. She loves. And- yeah. Well, yeah. I just like that little nuance in there, whether it's there or not. I love it. It's definitely there the first time, I think. But yeah, yeah, I I also noticed that that she's just parroting Fred uh, a little less enthusiastically. Yes. Yes. Well, I think even the facial expressions like there's a little side eye going on there in some of (laughs) it, too, where she's just like, okay, whatever, Fred. (laughs) Love you, buddy. (laughs) They knew exactly what they were doing. I just realized we did not get a toast to Mr. Scrooge at the Cratchits. Right. This is where I think they trimmed some, I think, necessary pieces to make room for those miners. But mm. again, it's a quick scene change, almost as if someone's hit a light switch. <laughs> but it's 1843 and those haven't been invented yet. So it's just Scrooge and Christmas <laughs> present back out on the dark streets of London as the spirit's beard is long and white now as his time mm-hmm. grows short. But before his time's up, Scrooge notices our dear, rarely seen friends, ignorance and want, and they are oh, ghastly man. here. Yes, they are. That's the right <laughs> word. They look like little creatures here almost just because of how frail oh. they are under the robe. They make Gollum look like Sam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, these two weren't eating too many potatoes. <laughs> yeah. Oh. And with Christmas presents, final backfire line of are there no prisons? Are there no workhouses? Oh, so good. Our friendly ghost vanishes, leaving Scrooge in complete darkness again until the ghost of Christmas yet to come slowly steps toward him. It's the usual cloaked and silent, bony handed future ghost. And the way he's drawn in this uses a lot of clever angles. We're playing with perspectives again. We're looking up at him from Scrooge's perspective. And we're looking really far down at Scrooge from the ghosts, which makes Scrooge look really small. And it's so well done. Ghost of the future, I fear you more than any specter I have seen. But as I know your purpose is to do me good, lead on. So let's take a tour of the future. It's another (laughs) pretty quick montage to fit it all in. Starting with the businessmen talking about a dead guy. It's likely to be a very cheap funeral. I don't mind going if a lunch is provided, but I must be fed. (laughs) (laughs) This scene is bonkers. It's so quick, but that one guy with his 
horribly malformed nose. Oh, that nose. Oh, it's floppy and it's got warts and it's just. (laughs) And he licks his own nose. Yeah. (laughs) It is. I was like, did I just see that? And I was like, don't look. I was like, yeah, I got to look. And I looked, I rewound. I was like, yep, I saw it. Yeah. Lick his own nose. And it's just like floppy and dangling down oh. in front of. Oh my gosh! Right, yeah. it's not. It's not hooked per se. It's just no. hanging there. Yeah. There's no cartilage in that part no. of it. It's, oh, <laughs> it's gross. It is really gross and and just really affecting. Like wow, it really yeah. stuck with me. Yeah, yeah. If this guy doesn't like you, <laughs> <laughs> and then the frame flies around the ghost pointing hand as we're whisked down a dark alley. We hear a crying baby and finally rest on the watery eye of a rat. Lovely. We then zoom out to find we're in old Joe's parlor where (laughs) Scrooge's charwoman, Mrs. Dilbert, brings in a bundle of blankets and sheets. This is another one where we just kind of whisk by it. We get the dialogue in really quickly and we're out. I love the art design on old Joe, though, and I don't remember the leech uh drawings if, if he even did this scene but joe's got a real rat-like face um yeah. he's got another prominent nose but at least this one has cartilage in it uh, <laughs> kind of like the the kind of little buck tooth like rat tooth you know kind of mouth and giant ears and yeah yeah it's a pretty great look all three of them are beauties. All three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Looking at it really quickly, I don't think the characters themselves match up with John Leach's illustrations, but mm. I did also notice that he had very rat-like features and we just zoomed out from a rat, so it was very right. appropriate. Yeah. Yes, yes. The shot of the rat in general is, again, just really well done. That's such a great scene change. Yeah, it, like the darkness and the scratchiness of the, like just the fur on the rat and just the, the whole scene was the cross hatching or whatever you call it was awesome. Just very, very cool. Yeah. Eat blankets, bed curtains. You don't mean to say you took them down rings and all with him lying there? Yes, I do. <laughs> if he wanted to keep him after he was dead, why wasn't he natural in his lifetime? Old Joe is also voiced by Paul Whitson Jones, and Mrs. Dilber is voiced by Mary Ellen Ray. Here's another one I don't really know a lot about, but IMDb says she is best known for the 1982 movie The Sender as nursing staff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's where I know her from. Who could ah. forget her role? <laughs> Good old nursing staff. She's a fine Mrs. Dilber here. Sure. And then the ghost directs Scrooge to look upon a shrouded corpse lying in bed, and he wants no part of that as usual. <laughs> so he asks to see some tenderness connected to a death. Okay, sure. Let's go to the Cratchits. <laughs> But again, for like three seconds, we just see Bob at Tim's bedside crying, my little child, and whoosh, we're out again to a very crowded graveyard. Yeah, very. It looks overcrowded the way it's drawn here, and we get the bird's eye view of it again. Where do they bury people on top of other corpses? (laughs) It's way too snug with all these headstones. Yeah. This ghost just points and locks his finger on the grave as Scrooge finally displays a sense of urgency in his voice for once in this story about him. (laughs) 
I'm kind of disappointed with this whole Christmas future sequence. It flies by too quickly, but at the end, it just doesn't seem as impactful as I would like it to be to frighten Scrooge into submission. Yeah, none of Scrooge's transformation in this is, you know, kind of top notch compared with some of the other versions, um, you know, and the other Alistair version being a, a, a great example. Like, yeah, he, you really feel his transformation in that. But this everything is just flying by so fast. And um, like you said a few times, like Alistair Sim is just his reading of it is almost kind of just like bored, which works in some scenes like the 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 portly solicitors. Um, right. But in other scenes where you just, you want something more from him. Um, you want to feel like he's the urgency, like you said, like, you know, you, you finally get some in this scene, but boy, we should have had it way before now. Yeah. It feels too little too late here. Yeah. Spirit. I'm not the man I was. Good spirit. Assure me that I may yet change these shadows you have shown me by an altered life. I will not shut out the lessons that they teach. But he mournfully agrees to keep Christmas in his heart and he clutches the ghost's robes. There's a flash and we're back in his room and he's hugging his own bed curtains. (laughs) And the relief on this Scrooge's face, just his worry just melts from his face. And it's a much more noticeable change that I don't know if I was expecting in this animation style. He kind of jumps around on his bed talking to himself. I don't know what day of the month it is. I, I, I don't know how long I've been among the spirits. I, I, I don't know anything. <laughs> we get the scene with the young boy out the window, but they're both drowned out by church bells in the distance. I like that. Yeah. What's today, my fine young fellow? Today? Christmas Day. What? It's Christmas Day. It's Christmas Day. And I haven't missed it. Church bells are just doing their job. <laughs> uh... But instead of sending the kid to go buy a turkey, we end this scene with Scrooge happily starting to get dressed. Then we fade out to him gleefully admiring his front door knocker, now looking much less like his old partner. Mm -hmm. And then he heads over to buy the turkey himself to send to the Cratchits. Yeah. It's a bit different, but it works with such a quick scene. And again, it's another montage of quick bullet points here, just so we can show, hey, we... Closed all these threads. We got these parts of the book out. Yeah. We see him run into the solicitor from before, whisper his donation. Then we cut to Scrooge going to Fred's party. He quickly welcomes him in. And again, the wife kind of just <laughs> oh. parents Fred saying, come in, uncle. Well, bless my soul. Come in, uncle. Come in, uncle. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and again, that's all they want to show us before it's the next day and Scrooge is playing his dorky little trick on Bob Cratchit. (laughs) But this time I think he lets on right away instead of waiting for Bob to process that he just said, I'm about to raise your salary. He immediately smiles and points and says, gotcha. (laughs) Therefore, I am about to raise your salary. A Merry Christmas, Bob. A Merry Christmas. I, I, oh, I will raise your salary, Bob, and endeavor to assist your struggling family. Mm-hmm. And, and we'll discuss your affairs this very afternoon, Bob. <laughs> Bob is still shocked as Scrooge giddily tells him his plan as we finally get a really silly belly laugh from the old man, almost a ghostly. <laughs> yes. 
I absolutely took note of that. I thought it was a little too much or too weird or too something. <laughs> I didn't love it. It's him just sitting and laughing that our narrator comes back to take us out with the classic Dickens ending, topping it all off. And that's it. Uh, no God bless us, everyone, mm -hmm. which is kind of a drag, but we made it. <laughs> I don't think we even got one earlier, did we? We, we did. did. Uh, oh, did we? Okay. Th yeah. They all said it, like all the Cratchits okay. said. Okay. But final thoughts on Richard Williams' take on A Christmas Carol. Uh, I really liked it. I don't give it too many faults for the abridgments that they made because I think that was their mandate at the beginning. I, Like I said, ha having watched it and really been kind of enthralled by it, at least in terms of animation style, I expected when we had talked about watching this, that it was, I was going to watch a cartoon and <laughs> I, you know, I saw something, you know, much cooler than that. Uh, so I, I saw a little clip of Richard Williams. Is that right? I forgot his name. Or yes. Richard Williams, like mm -hmm. a clip of him on stage kind of talking about it. And he said that, you know, Chuck Jones, you know, really pushed for this. And they, he said that they worked their butts off. He said they were doing, yeah. you know, super long days, sleeping under their desks. They, they got it done. I forget what the 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 short span of time, but like <laughs> like hours before it was it had to be it had oh, wow. to be due. Like they, it just took forever to do. So with that, and having seen that, I'm like, yeah, they had to make improvements. But boy, they tried their best to be faithful to the spirit. They cut this, they cut that, but uh, they did such a good job bringing it to life and bringing those uh, illustrations to life. I was pretty impressed with it. I have a couple little weird little nitpicks, but I think anyone watching something will have their subjective things and we could even talk about them or not or whatever, but, um, go ahead if you want. Just, I, I, I remember like having watched it, you know, for the first time this week, feeling like, uh, when he, uh, when each of the ghosts take Scrooge, you know, on the journey, like they all look really cool. All those scenes of, of the, him flying through the air with the ghost and being transported. I, I wanted some sort of sound, to go along with those kind of yeah. fantastic trips that he was on. And, and they made a choice that I bet they thought about it and they chose their choice and their artists and whatever, that's good. But I would have wanted a little cool, some kind of sound effect, some kind of musical sting, something to accompany each of those trips. Yeah, it's really just a whoosh most of the time. The first one with Christmas Pass, when you hear that heartbeat, I think it was a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. That was very effective, but then they don't keep up with that. Yeah, yeah. There was a there was a couple like the the ghost of Christmas future. I think especially when he asks for, oh, show me a, a death with some tenderness. Yeah. And there's this really neat, cool, crazy curving pan shot where they go from where they were to the Cratchits. And yeah, I was like, boy, I want to hear something along that, you know, as mm -hmm. it's happening and you don't. So that was just a, that's just a little nitpick of mine. But in general, like as a a whole story, a whole adaptation, a very abridged adaptation. I think it's remarkable. Yeah, I, I don't cut it a lot of slack for the abridgment just because Mickey's Christmas Carol has, I think it's probably even shorter runtime. Hmm. And it feels like a complete, I don't know, it feels like it flows better than this does. Like, And, and I don't know if it's because like that Mickey's Christmas Carol takes so many liberties um, and changes oh, yeah. so many things um, and just, you know, chops out you know whole scenes and stuff um and this version is trying to in a weird way like be super faithful visually um and include some scenes that don't get included even in longer you know feature length versions um but then it just 
does such a hatchet job on on a lot of the other dialogue and a lot of i don't know so i feel like there's a balance there that it doesn't it it, it could have struck but doesn't strike yeah, I'm I'm the same way. It's a very tight 25 minutes and we breeze through a lot of it. But but you know what? It was probably a whirlwind night for Scrooge, so it feels right. <laughs> <laughs> and this special is so beloved by the people who know it. It, it. I feel like it falls by the wayside and I guess it kind of deserves that in some ways. But in other ways, I I'm not so sure because Wikipedia's entry for it is titled A Christmas Carol TV Special. Mm. As in, this was the definitive version of it as far as TV specials are mm. concerned. Mm. Well, it definitely deserves to be seen. It just, oh, yes. The, the visuals are completely stunning and uh, it it's, has its place in the canon, just if nothing else because of that. And just for the people uh, listening, if you're going to see this on YouTube like I did, um, watch the second one I watched, not the first one. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There, there is one that says HD in the title. So if you look this up and want to watch it, look for the one that says HD in the title is my recommendation. Because the first time I, I watched a not a great digital copy of it. And when I wanted to, I wanted to watch it one more time to, you know, really uh, cement it in my head before today. And uh, the second one had HD in the title. I was like, Oh, this looks much better. <laughs> so, yeah. so yeah, look for that one, whichever one that says HD in the title, that you'll be much happier. I did the same thing. And the moment when I decided there's gotta be a better version of this somewhere was the scene going up the stairs and it's pitch dark. Cause you could see just the, the digitization of it. Yes, that's it. Yep. That is it. That was the moment when I was like, I got to find a better version of it. And the one that I found was the same one you did. It has a little like film residue. It was jumpy. It was jumpy at first. And there's and there's a little line that goes in the middle. But like yep. it, it all kind of resolves and then it, then it works really well. Yeah, that's the version you want to watch. Uh, it's so much more high res. And this version deserves to be seen in, in as best quality as it can, because they put a lot of love into this. You can always watch it on CED, too. I hear it's really good. Well, no, you can't. It wasn't one of those. Oh, oh I, sorry. <laughs> no, the, the only ones, it, it kind of decided, well, these three are on here. And the three that made the cut were Mickey's Christmas Carol. Yeah. I think a 1982 animated version mm. that I'll cover at a later date. Mm. And the 1970 musical with Albert Finney. Okay. Mm. And I guess that person used that as a jumping point where I want to talk about a Christmas carol for no reason. And this is the only website I maintain. So here it is. <laughs> that Albert Finney version came up on my search for this, too. I saw it as one of the search results. So and I've never seen that either. Oh, that's a that's a good one. Uh, I'm not going to spoil any of that for you. Um, I'm saving that for a special occasion of some sort. I'm not sure when, but I'm going to fit it in like at some special Scrooge Sunday in Christmas future. <laughs> uh, but for now, thank you both for joining me on this certainly animated adventure through time. Oh, thank you, Mike. It's, it's always a pleasure to be on this show talking Christmas, um, especially with you and this time with Rob. Yep. And I, I'm yeah. very happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. Happy to have you both. And if people want to dance extremely close to you, obscuring your entire line of vision, where can they find you on the Internet, Rob? Uh, on Twitter, at Spidey004, and then on the After Lunch podcast with one Michael May. And Michael. 
Uh, on Twitter, I'm at Michael May Comics with an X. I'm also on the After Lunch podcast <laughs> with one Rob Graham. Yes. And sometimes I show up there as well. Absolutely, Indeed. you do. Uh, and I'm also on Twitter at Fall West Mike and Advent Cal House. You can find the show notes for this episode and every episode on your internet machine at adventcalendar.house. Thank you again for spending Scrooge Sunday with us. Tune in again in a couple of days' time for our next exciting episode. Until then, for Rob Graham and Michael May, from under my unnaturally green willow tree in the middle of December, <laughs> this is Mike Westfall reminding you to please mind the icy patch, and God bless us, everyone. And now, these messages. Hi, I'm Ed Daly. My new book, The Christmas Book, The Ultimate Guide to Your Favorite Holiday, is out now in time for holiday gift-giving. In it, I explain everything from our odd customs like bringing trees indoors and kissing under the mistletoe to the stories behind just about every major Christmas song and movie ever made. And most importantly for lovers of the Advent Calendar House podcast, the biggest section of the book focuses on Christmas on TV. Sure, Charlie Brown, Rudolph, and Frosty are included, the Christmas Book also examines lesser-known Rankin-Bass specials like Nestor the Long-Eared Christmas Donkey, Christmas variety shows, sitcoms, cop shows, doctor shows, anthology shows. Anyone out there remember the holiday episodes from He-Man, Garfield, MacGyver, SpongeBob, Curb Your Enthusiasm, 90210, Animaniacs, G.I. Joe, Scooby-Doo, and of course the Rambo Christmas cartoon where he saves a toy maker and travels shirtless down a snowy mountain on a hubcap. I'd love to hear about your favorite TV specials. My Twitter account is EasyEdDaily. That's E-Z-E-D-D-A-L-Y. The book is The Christmas Book by Ed Daly, available on Amazon. Thanks, everyone. Hope you enjoy it. I wrote it with fellow Christmas fanatics like you in mind. Next time on the Advent Calendar House... A Christmas special starring Pat Boone.